Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is John chapter 8, verse 12. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I am your host, Sandra Flack. I hope you are having a fabulous week. I'm traveling home from my trip out to focus on the family in Colorado Springs and Wyoming to visit my daughter and her family. I can't wait to update you uh, on my trip and how everything at Focus went. So um, that will be for the next episode. I'll give that update. But today, I will be continuing my series on the primary characteristics of FASD, uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I believe this will be the last in that series because we've covered um, all of the primary symptoms. If you didn't catch them all, you can go back um, and check them all out. I've been issuing or we've been releasing an episode on the primary characteristics every so often since uh, October 2022, I believe, last year. So if you scroll through, you'll be able to find the episodes that are marked primary characteristics. Uh, But first, we have some important announcements. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash FASD. And coming up on Wednesday, April 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, I am teaching a three-hour-long online deep dive into FASD using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. So if you want to go a little deeper, you have an opportunity to um, join me for that online workshop. Um, I'm also going to be doing a free lunch and learn Uh, in May. Uh, That's an introduction to FASD. That is May 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Also coming up in May, I'll be doing another three-hour deep dive. So if the one in April doesn't work with your schedule, um, then there's going to be another one on Wednesday, May 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern time also. Uh, And I do believe we have a a deep dive, uh, an 18 hour deep dive um, into FASD coming up in uh, June 1st, I think is when the first one will be. And that's basically 18 hours worth of content. It's six three hour sessions. So it'll be six Wednesday nights in a row um, starting on, I believe it is June 1st. So you can check out our website 
uh, for the details and the time for all of the above. But just to let you know, we're offering some great content. So whether you're a foster or adoptive parent, a kinship caregiver, um, a relative of a family or a babysitter or a grandparent, maybe you're the church youth group leader or or maybe you're listening to this and you're the parent and you're like, you know what, my, my kiddo's teacher needs to know this, social worker needs to know about this, um, the youth group leader, the Sunday school teacher, the bus driver, whoever it is, the grandparents, the adult siblings, um, whoever, whether it be yourself or somebody else in your family or your community that you really want them to learn about FASD, uh, then you can absolutely send them to one of these trainings. These, The ones that are that I just mentioned are all online um, and you would register at our on our website at justicefororphansny.org. If you click on events, that will give you a list of all the upcoming trainings. Um, if you click on trainings, that will give you all the, the different kinds of trainings we offer. Um, and then you can, if you if you want to schedule an in-person training um, where I can, because I, I do travel and I speak at um, adoption and foster care uh, retreats and conferences and, and for support groups and things like that, schools. So uh, I, I do book out for uh, in-person events um, as well as the online. So if you're looking for something that you want for a specific group, or maybe it's just maybe it's just you and your spouse, and you know, or you and someone else who just really want this training, I do um, do trainings that way as well. So again, go to the website justicefororphansny.org, click on events to register for uh, what's actually on the calendar right now. Um, but you can also check out all of the trainings that we offer. Um, also, speaking of training, we have um, these regular episodes of the podcast, but also we have 21 bonus episodes that we recorded with Dr. Jared Brown, who specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, all kinds of brain things. Um, and the series really um, Dr. Brown unpacks um, topics that are of particular interest to us adoptive and foster parents. Um, you know, he gets into the weeds on prenatal trauma, complex trauma, FASD, screen time, executive function, all kinds of things that have to do with um, the brain. So all, all the all the neurological stuff. Um, and it's really, really great content. They're some of our most popular episodes. So if you're new to this podcast, and you haven't caught them, just scroll back through our library of episodes, and you'll see them um, there. They have the bonus episode in the title, and you'll be able to find those. There's 21. And we will be adding more to that list in the near future. So stay tuned for those. And so you don't miss anything. So you catch all of the great content that we offer. Um, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. Um, and also leave a review, especially if you're listening through an Apple device. Um, we would love for you to leave us a review. It makes it, um, it makes the show uh, more accessible to other folks who are looking for podcasts about adoption and foster care and all of that. So um, leave a review, subscribe, let your friends know. We greatly appreciate it. So now to our conversation today, our topic today. Like I said, I'm wrapping up my series on the primary characteristics of FASD, which I started several months ago, and I've just done done an episode here and there. Um, so again, if you're new to the podcast, feel free to scroll back through our I, uh, episode library and you can look for the, the all of the episodes because we, we covered dismaturity, 
impulsivity, memory problems, difficulty with abstract concepts, difficulty predicting outcomes, sensory processing challenges, difficulty generalizing. Uh, and last week we did um, difficulty with executive function. Um, and this week we're gonna wrap it up by focusing on language and communication. And some of these topics seem to overlap a little bit, but um, you know, it's all part of this uh, brain-based condition. So we're gonna look at how language and communication challenges might uh, present in our kiddos and explore some ways that we can accommodate uh, for success. Before I dive into this particular symptom of FASD, I always like to just share why I talk about FASD so much on this podcast. While the adoption and foster care journey isn't specifically just about FASD, I have come to realize how uh, FASD impacts most of the population of foster and adopted children and kinship even kiddos most are not even diagnosed. So families are struggling and nobody really knows what is behind all of that. And um, as a mom of five adopted children, two diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome, I've traveled this adoptive parent journey for quite some time. I became trauma-informed, did the connected parenting thing, all of which, of course, worked. Um but reached a point where I realized we are missing something. Um, you know, I just, something's missing, something's not right, what's going on? So a few years ago, um, you know, we were not in a good place. So I dove into the one thing I felt like I really knew hardly anything about, and that was my kiddo's FAS, FAS fetal alcohol syndrome diagnoses. Um, you know, we got the diagnosis when they were young. Um, it was actually easy to get the diagnosis because most of the time parents, um, you know, it's hard to get a diagnosis. Um, we got one probably because not only did my children have the facial features and so many of the other physical signs, but uh, they were adopted internationally, and we had court records that listed the parents as alcoholics. Um, so it wasn't hard for us to get a diagnosis, but a lot of families really, really struggle. You know, um, it's hard to get a diagnosis. And when we got ours, you know, that was great and all, but there was no resources or guidance offered to us. We were just told, you know, focus on life skills and have a nice day. Um, you know, so of course, when I got home, I Googled it, you know, and <laughs> what I found was very scary. There wasn't a whole lot out there at the time. Um, and it was scary and it was doom and gloom and hopeless. So I just decided, well, that's not going to happen to us, right? That's not going to happen to our family. And I focused on the connected parenting. And like I said, it worked. You know, we did a lot of, you know, we've got great attachment. We disarmed fear. We built trust. A lot of great things going on um, until we hit you know, the brick wall a few years ago, and our boys were teenagers, and different ages and stages, this kind of rears its ugly head in, in different ways. And by the time they're teenagers, um, it's, it's definitely in your face. So we were struggling. 
Fast forward to today, while I don't consider myself an expert by any stretch, um, I am a parent with over 20 years of lived experience, um, you know, caring for and raising children who have trauma histories, but also prenatal exposure. And now I'm a certified facilitator of the FACETS neurobehavioral model because I have just found so much um, help and value, um, incredible value in learning the neurobehavioral model and understanding a brain-based approach. And the more I learned, the more passionate I've become about advocating and equipping uh, adoptive and foster parents and kinship caregivers. And you know what? Recent studies indicate that one in 20 school-age kid in the United States, one in 20, has been prenatally exposed to alcohol. So one in 20 means there's at least one kiddo in every classroom, in every school in the United States. And you know what? That doesn't take into consideration COVID uh, because I believe it was during the pandemic, women, drinking among women increased 40% during COVID. So we're just beginning to see. um, These kiddos are just beginning to arrive in schools. So I'm expecting that number to increase to more than just one in 20. Um, But right now the the studies reveal one in 20 school-age kids. Um, And then of course, out of that number, a disproportionate number of them are in the child welfare system, either in foster care or in adoptive or kinship placements. And again, most are either not diagnosed or they're misdiagnosed and have a whole bunch of other, you know, letters after their name, not just FASD or probably not even the FASD, but they have ADHD and, and RAD and ODD and PTSD and all kinds of other things, learning disabilities and things like that which could most likely all be under the the label of FASD, but it's just not known. Um, and one of the reasons why it's not diagnosed or misdiagnosed is because most of the time, doctors shy away from diagnosing it because they don't want to stigmatize children and families. They don't want to label kids with this. Um, and also, it's really not taught hardly at all in medical school. And I had two doctors recently tell me that they both, they both um, basically gave me the same information. So um, we're not going to necessarily get a diagnosis and our kiddos need that and they need us to advocate for them if we're suspecting. And understanding the symptoms oftentimes is what um, awakens the parent and caregiver to this is what's really going on, right? Because the kiddos are not necessarily gonna come in with the diagnosis. So it's so important that we are FASD informed because most likely we are parenting a kiddo who was prenatally exposed. Um, We need to advocate for a diagnosis because we want children to be able to have proper treatment, proper uh, diagnosis leads to proper treatment and care and protocols and medications and things like that. Um, and then for their lifespan, 
they're going to need that. It needs to be in their record. So down the road, when it's when it's more recognized, because I know in New York State, um, it's not recognized. FASD is not recognized as a developmental disability, and it should be. And we're fighting to make it be. Um, so right now, even in New York State, if you get the diagnosis, it's not going to get you very far in some instances. But at some point, we expect that to change, and we really want accurate diagnoses for the benefit of the individual. Um, so. Definitely, we need to know about it, and we also need to understand brain-based approaches like the neurobehavioral model um, in order to really support these kiddos um, and, and help them to be successful and whatever that means for them and for their future. So you can find lots of resources on our website, as well as the online support group and the workshop and workshops and training I mentioned earlier, go to our website, justicefororphansny.org to access all of that um, and more information about FASD. And now we will take a closer look at the primary symptom of FASD, the primary symptom of language and communication, because gosh, this is a huge, you know, a huge one. We need language and communication for every part of our lives, right? Think about what happens every day in our homes, in our schools, in our communities. Language and communication skills are used everywhere. You know, think about school. Teachers teach using language and communication. Parents parent using language and communication. But if an individual, if a child was prenatally exposed to alcohol, they have a difficult time with language and communication. So if you're having a difficult time with something, it's gonna affect every aspect of your life, especially this. Um, so what does it look like? Well, it may look like a child having difficulty answering questions, right? Th these are the kiddos that you ask them a question and they either don't answer or they take a long time to answer or they might say, I don't know, or they might say, what? right? And then, you know, after a few moments, then they might be able to answer, right? So it isn't that they're being difficult or they weren't paying attention to you. It may very well be they have a language and a communication problem um, and they are having a hard time. It could be slow processing. We, we did a whole episode on slow processing pace, right? That's very common in individuals prenatally exposed to alcohol. And they only catch you know, every third word sometimes. So if you're giving a lecture or you're offering, um, you know, verbal instructions with multi-steps involved, they're not gonna catch it all. They're not gonna catch it all. It's very difficult. Um, another area, they often don't seem to understand what's being said, no matter how many times we repeat it. They might even be able to repeat information back to us, but that doesn't mean they understood it uh, and can act upon it. They might not understand the meaning of the words that we're using. They also tend to be very literal and not understand innuendo or vague explanations, or they just might not understand information that we're giving them um, that we assume they should understand because of their age. Uh, one of my kids, I'll give you an example of how this could even play out. One of my kiddos um, spends a lot of time with a family in our community, a friendship that he formed through being a volunteer firefighter. Um, and he 
uh, you know, just kind of has found, it's been really great because it's opened up um, a community to him that he is part of the fire, the fire company, you know? And so one, one um, family, he likes to hang out with a lot, um, a husband and wife who have three, four kids. um, And we know the family and we've been able to really kind of educate them on FASD so that they can understand, um, you know, our son and some of his behaviors and things. And so um, he was over to this friend's house, you know, and, and because he's there like every day, he literally shows up every day and they're okay with that. He eats dinner with them sometimes a lot. Um, anyway, when he was leaving the other day, um, he said, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. And they, and you know, his buddy said, oh, well, I'm going on a hunting trip to Alaska. So I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll be gone for a week. And then his wife said, oh yeah, he'll be gone. You know, and they're all laughing and, um, you know, they didn't think anything more of it. And I didn't think anything of it when my son came home and said, oh yeah, my buddy's going on a hunting trip to Alaska. That wasn't far-fetched because we know people who do that kind of thing. So I didn't even give it another thought. But um, a few days later, I bumped into his friend's wife and she mentioned, you know, your son hasn't been over um, in several days, is, he, is everything okay? And we're wondering if he thinks Rob really went to Alaska. And I said, well, I think he did think that because he told me matter-of-factly that that's what was going on. Um, so they realized, wow, wow. Um, <laughs> he was very gullible and didn't catch that it was a joke and they weren't you know they didn't at all mean it as a joke it was it was you know just jesting um like like folks do and they just didn't realize how literal he would take it and how gullible he seemed um you know looking back now so he just didn't catch that it was a joke and he believed it and he acted accordingly because he didn't go to their house thinking his buddy wasn't going to be there for a whole week so you know, this happens, you know, and because they, they don't catch those things, those parts of communication, um, you know, same kid, actually, he and I went out to dinner not too long ago to a restaurant that we like to frequent. My husband and our other son were away up at our camp. So I um, took this kiddo to dinner one night to have a nice dinner. Um, and the hostess went to seat us and um, we see her, you know, we it's, it's a restaurant. It's like our family's favorite restaurant. So we go there quite a bit. So she said, oh, just the two of you? And my son said, yeah, her husband died. And, uh, and you know, I, I, look, I saw the look of, you know, just being mortified on the, hostess's face and I'm you know like to my son like you can't why would you say that that is terrible and he said it's funny and I had to explain no that is not funny but he thought it was funny even though it was terrible it was a terrible joke I understand that he didn't understand but I had to explain that is not funny that's not humor right we don't joke about things like that you know, and he's 19. So um, you can see where, again, communication, language, kind of challenging, right? You can see where it could potentially get our kids in trouble the older they get when they don't really know and they don't communicate appropriately. Um, You know, he could tell an off color, you know, inappropriate joke to the wrong person and get in a lot of trouble, not even knowing he would be offending somebody. So, um, you know, we had to have a conversation about that and hope he remembers. Um, 
these guys also might have trouble putting their feelings into words. Um, you know, one of my boys, you know, actually both of them were not really good at understanding and communicating feelings. Like they didn't recognize their own feelings and how to put that into words to express it, but they also couldn't um, identify other people's feelings. They couldn't read, you know, facial expressions and things like that. They couldn't um, really understand that. So we had to work on, once we realized that, we learned that several years ago, we began to be intentional, intentional, intentional about talking about feelings. Easy for me to say. Um, we actually got, um, well, I'll get to that when we get to the solutions. I don't want to give it all away right now, but, um, you know, feelings, um, putting words into feelings or feelings into words, I should say, um, can be challenging for these guys. Um, often they're on those polar opposites. Like, you know, it's either really bad or really good and there's nothing in between. They have a hard time with any gray area in between. Um, so that's a struggle. Uh, people with FASD often have difficulty reading body language because, you know, body language is really abstract and they have a difficult time with abstract concepts. Um, so they're not able to read the room or read the other person very well. Um, another one, they um, they they can talk and you know they can talk and verbalize, but they can also they also tend to be off topic, like they really don't understand what's going on in a conversation, and they'll just start talking about something else and not realize that you know we're in the middle of this conversation. Um, they have a hard time staying on topic. Um, and a big one is confabulation. Very common. Um, this is when they don't remember all of the details of something. So their brain fills in the parts that they don't remember for them, which can appear as lying, but it's not intentional lying. It's really their brain filling in missing information. And I have one older adult kiddo who does this. I used to be very baffled by it because I didn't know that it was part of FASD and I didn't know that this child probably was prenatally exposed to alcohol. Um, so no diagnosis here, but you know, and, and, and this one's an adult, but when I began learning about FASD and studied all of these primary symptoms in depth, I realized, oh my goodness, this kiddo checks every box. Um, and confabulation is something that they'll do because they'll, you know, remember when, you know, remember when Graham came over and then we did this and then she did that and we all laughed and then this happened. Like she'll tell this whole story and we'll all be laughing and, I'll, you know, nodding our heads and I'll realize, you know, there's parts of that story that that's not how that happened. Like it didn't go that way, or she might be mixing two stories together. Um, and just not and and really, in a situation like this, it's pretty harmless. And now that I realize what it is, what confabulation is, um, and, and why it occurs, I don't say, oh, that's not how that happened. Or you don't have that right. I don't even correct her. We just laugh at the funny story and keep, you know, keep moving on. But you can see where this could get, um, in, you know, a person in trouble. Um, you can imagine how innocent confabulation could get them, um, you know, in trouble when being questioned by an authority, right? Um, 
because they will fill in the gaps if they don't remember. And memory, especially short-term memory, is a challenge. Um, and they also tend to be vulnerable to suggestibility. So they may they may say what they think they want you to say that you want them to say. Um, so it's it's they can get confused rather easily um, and give answers that they shouldn't or that aren't true or that they think the questioner wants to hear. And it can be very dangerous the older our kids get, um, especially when there are authorities involved. So all of these things can be very difficult, very frustrating for the parent and caregiver, but also very frustrating for the kiddo. So what do we do? How do we help our kids who struggle, um, who may have been prenatally exposed, and they are struggling with things like language and communication? So like with all of the primary symptoms of FASD, I can't stress enough, first and foremost, we must consider what their brain needs to be able to do in order to perform any task, right? What, what does their brain have to be able to do? And if it seems like they're having difficulty performing those tasks, look for the patterns of the challenges that they have with those tasks. You know, what does your kid struggle with on a regular basis? And could that struggle indicate a primary symptom of FASD? Could they possibly have been prenatally exposed? And it's, you know, some of the recent, you know, data reveals that I, I think it's like over 80%, closer to 90% of children, kiddos in foster care and out of home placement were prenatally exposed, but not diagnosed. So you can see where we need to know about this because chances are it's highly likely that we have a child in our home who was prenatally exposed to alcohol, whether we know that or not, whether we have it's in the records or not. Um, once we start understanding it's highly likely and we start understanding the primary symptoms, then we can um, begin to advocate for them and accommodate them appropriately. But we always, always have to take the brain into consideration because FASD is a brain-based, lifelong, physical condition that affects the brain and body of a person prenatally exposed to alcohol. So we need to understand that that's what it is. This is a brain condition. Alcohol exposure affects, impacts the structure of the brain and the function of the brain. This is a brain-based disability. So we have to take the brain into consideration and even decide, well, this thing I want my kiddo to be able to do, this expectation that I have, can their brain even do it? Does their brain have challenges with these things, right? And begin to consider maybe this isn't a, a good expectation or maybe we just need to adjust our expectations. You know, like I tell my kid to go clean their room and they're not able to clean the room because they have all these executive function challenges and they um, really only can do it if they have a support person, someone helping them. And you know what? That's the accommodation. We clean the room together. 
right, one step at a time. So we look for ways to um, adjust our expectations of them to match what their brain can actually do. And another very important part of that is to always consider our child's developmental age. Uh, Dismaturity is a primary symptom of FASD, and it's when an individual is developmentally younger than their chronological age, right? So they might be 12, but in most ways they are like a six-year-old, or they might be 18, and in most ways they're like a nine-year-old. What we need to do is set our expectations to that younger age, to that developmental age, because that's really where they're at. So we need to expect only what they would be able to do at that age. Um, So that's that's a huge one. That can be not just for language and communication challenges, but any of these symptoms, those three, those things that, you know, what a brain needs to be able to do, what my kiddos primary symptoms are, and adjust my expectations accordingly, okay? So taking that all into consideration, let's look at some strategies to better support our kiddos who struggle with language and communication skills. And again, this is not one size fits all. Every individual is different. Um, You know, there's a whole bunch of different primary characteristics and not every individual with an FASD will exhibit all of them. Um, They may exhibit several of them, um, but everybody's different and this is a spectrum. So you got to just look for where there is um, a pattern of these kinds of behaviors to see what it is that they may be struggling with. Um, And when it comes to answering questions, right, difficulty answering questions that we talked about earlier, again, it could be that they just don't understand all of what is being said. Maybe they do have that slower processing pace. So we need to slow down and use less words, give them extra time to respond when we ask a question. And you know what? Check for understanding. I I was just, you know, having a conversation a while ago trying to explain to my 17-year-old something that we, we talked about what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. Um, And he was agreeing with me and shaking his head and like totally going right along with the conversation. And something just told me (laughs) to ask for clarity. So I said, do you know what appropriate means? And he just was like, yeah, nope, I have no idea. So here he was totally agreeing with the rules and totally agreeing with what I was trying to teach him, just like he got it. And he could, you know, go off and be fine. But really, he didn't get it because he didn't even know what the word appropriate meant, let alone the word inappropriate. So I had to change it and explain, well, appropriate means right and good. So for a long time, when I was trying to use the word inappropriate, um, I would explain that if it's inappropriate, it is not right and it is not good. And just continue to give the definition every time I use the word until now he pretty much understands what that is. But I had to check for clarity because he seemed like he understood it. He said that he understood it. He was agreeing with me. But yet when I asked him what the word meant, he didn't even know. So we have to check for understanding um, and make sure that if if you're using words that you think they should know because of their biological age, 
check for understanding because that doesn't mean that they know it because developmentally, cognitively, they may be way younger and not really know. Um, Keep in mind that they may not understand everything that's being said. Again, um, check for understanding, explain words, use less words, um, show rather than tell. Sometimes while you're telling, you can show. Um, And then that gives them a body memory to go along with the words. So very important. Uh, It's also common for individuals with FASD or even trauma to not be able to put their feelings into words. Um, We have um, back, like I said, when our kiddos were, when we first realized this several years ago, um, we purchased, and you get them online, right? Um, feelings flashcards. And there are these really colorful primary color cards um, of cartoon pictures with different facial expressions and cartoon characters in various uh, settings, right? Doing various things. Um, and their facial features will depict the feeling, you know, that was going on in that setting. Um, so we would like talk about, you know, we'd show the card and say, what does, you know, what, how do you think this, this character feels, this person in the picture? How do you think they feel? What's going on? Why might they feel that way? So we would just talk about that. Um, and, and sometimes we would do like two or three of those cards at breakfast, um, or after dinner or at bedtime, whatever you know, was convenient, just to get talking about feelings all the time. And it really helped our boys to begin to recognize other people have feelings and they have feelings and we can read a person's face to see if they're happy if they're sad um, and there's more emotions than just happy and sad right um, so we could explore those um, so the flashcards and discussions on feelings helped um, also teach about body language because you can add that in there you can role play and practice which can help um, kind of explore feelings and putting feelings into words. We cannot assume our kids will figure out these things on their own uh, because they're such concrete thinkers. Um, They have a hard time generalizing information, reading into things. So they really need to have it explained to them. And we have to be intentional about teaching this stuff. Uh, When it comes to being off topic um, or inappropriate, right? Again, we can... um, We have to take into consideration how their brain works, um, what their developmental age is, and steer them back in the right direction with kindness. You know, when you're having a conversation, um, sometimes my husband and I could be sitting down having a conversation about something important. And, you know, we have one kiddo in particular who will come and plop down right next to us to show us you know, a video on his phone that he thinks is funny that he found on the internet, which is actually off humor, but also we were in the middle of a conversation and he just plopped down and because he thought it was funny, he showed it to us without like, without reading the room, like, is this a good time to barge in? Is this a good time to interrupt? Um, They have a hard time with things like that. So you have to take the disability into consideration um, and give some grace to them. Um, And you can teach, you know, please, please don't interrupt. Let's wait until mom and dad are done or ask, may I show you something? Um, so it's a lot of training, but but um, you could still teach all of that and they still don't get it and will still interrupt. Um, 
So it's, it's something that we have to learn to navigate. And part of it is just understanding they have a brain-based condition, right? So um, it is, let's see, where are we now? Feelings into words we did, being off topic. Oh, confabulation, okay? Confabulation. Um, we need to understand that um, they are not intentionally lying. So don't call them a liar or punish them for lying. Um, you know, confabulation isn't something that they're doing on purpose to be deceitful. Their brain is really just filling in the gaps of information that they actually don't remember. Um, and again, we don't try to call our kiddo out on it. We understand where it's coming from and it's pretty harmless. Um, it is a concern uh, when it comes to you know, if 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 a, if an individual were to get in trouble with the legal system, right? They're being questioned, and they have to give their version of a story, um, you know, or they have to give, you know, like where were you on the night of such and such? And they, with confabulation, may dig themselves into a hole. This is another reason why diagnosis is so important, because the symptoms, if they get that FASD diagnosis, the symptoms are documented and research proves that language and communication deficits, including confabulation, are part of FASD. So without the diagnosis, it might be really difficult to prove they're not lying, this is just confabulation. So that's another reason why diagnosis is really important, especially the older they get. So to wrap up here, remember always think brain. Think brain, and this is why I really hope you'll take uh, advantage of the training that I'm offering with the neurobehavioral model because we teach exactly that. Think brain, consider the primary symptoms that your individual, your child is exhibiting. Um, understand and consider their developmental age and set our expectations accordingly provide accommodations so that they can be successful, put some things in place, um, and focus on their strengths and their learning style. Um, and I can't stress enough, just like when uh, a person who has a, a, a physical disability that we can see, it's visible, like they have, they're in a wheelchair, right? Um, the wheelchair in and of itself is is an accommodation, but we also know when we see them in that wheelchair that they're gonna have some special accommodations to be successful. We're not gonna expect them in school to run laps in PE class in order to pass PE, right? They're gonna have special accommodations because they can't do that. It's not that they won't get out of the wheelchair and do it, they can't. And it's the same thing with our children who have an invisible brain-based condition, there are a lot of things that they can't do. It just looks like they won't because their disability is invisible. So we have to take this into consideration um, and, and parent accordingly and advocate accordingly. It is so, so important. FASD, like I said, is an invisible brain-based condition that affects the brain and body of people exposed to alcohol in the womb. Um, 
and like with any visible disability, accommodations will be necessary across systems. They're gonna need accommodations at home, at school, in the community, in the workplace, right? In order to be successful. And we need to advocate for them to be able to have those things. Uh, and we need to be educated in order to advocate, advocate with excellence. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about FASD, how to apply the neurobehavioral model, how to accommodate for success, you will want to check out those workshops that I'm offering again, coming up in April, uh, on April 19th. Wednesday, April 19th, 7 p.m., I'm teaching a three-hour deep dive on FASD using the FACETS Neurobehavioral Model. Um, in May, there's another three-hour. That one is on Wednesday, May 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So you can do either one. Um, and also, I'm doing a free lunch and learn. It's one hours, one hour. It's like 45 minutes of me instructing on FASD. And then the rest of the time, I stay on and we do Q&A. Um, and that's free. Uh, so let's say the lunch and learn is going to be Thursday, May 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So you have to uh, register at our website, even for the free lunch and learn. So you can get the Zoom link because these are all virtual workshops. Um, and then you would go to justicefororphansny.org, uh, click on events. And we've got a link to our website in the show notes for this episode so you can get there pretty easily. Uh, and I'm also going to be doing, starting June 1st, an 18-hour deep dive. It's the most intensive class that I do. Um, it's six three-hour sessions. Um, and you get certificates for all of these um, trainings um, that you participate in. And we are in the process of being able to offer CEUs for social workers. Um, that should be coming down the pike here shortly um, for that. So um, spread the word, share about the trainings with others, um, and then reach out if you are wanting more information. Maybe you want a one-on-one, -on -one. maybe you want some a train me to come in person for your group. Um, you can contact me as well. You can reach me through the website, but you can also email me directly at Sandra Flack at justicefororphansny.org and I will uh, respond to your email personally. And I hope that you will check it out and let me know if you've been enjoying these episodes. Um, I, I, I'm thinking that I'll probably go on to do um, another episode involving the secondary and tertiary symptoms, probably all rolled into one, um, because we find that when our kiddos, when individuals with an FASD are not accommodated, when they don't have that diagnosis, or like my kids, when they do have the diagnosis, but we have no idea what to do with that, um, and expectations are just set um, for them according to their peers, uh, and their their disability is not taken into consideration, over time they can develop what we call secondary symptoms. And further on, tertiary, um, if they're not accommodated well. So I'm, I'm, I'm planning on doing an episode where I totally devote um, the episode to all of that, the secondary and tertiary. So that'll be coming up. I've got some great guests coming up in the near future. In May, our episodes typically focus on foster care. So I talk to a lot of foster uh, parents. So we will be doing that. So if you enjoyed the show, be sure 
to let us know by subscribing and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen and be encouraged and equipped too. Remember, if you would like a little bit more guidance for your parenting journey, especially if you are thinking FASD is a thing, we have our Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community, our trainings, of course, this podcast, lots of resources for you. So we hope that you'll check it out. Be sure to find and follow Justice for Orphans on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And you can also follow me, Sandra Flack, on both of those platforms as well. I am so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.